From South Bend, Indiana, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. Um, one of the fun things I like to do about three or four days into a trade show is to touch base with my team. And usually they're falling apart a little bit around the edges. <laughs> you know, somebody might have a sore throat and, and need throat lozenges or something. And so I order a Target run, you know, and have Target delivered to the hotel and, and take care of everybody's little woes and, and stuff. And um, that just alone just um, makes people go, man, like people care here. That was Janet Dickinson. She's a CRO at Endeavor 3D. They have built a contract manufacturing business from the ground up, and she joins the show today to talk about that journey and the challenge that the team has overcome to make a successful business in added manufacturing. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or anyone in your company are looking for materials, qualification, or general added manufacturing support, reach out to the team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. All right, Janet, thank you so much for joining the show today. Super excited for the conversation. Um, I like to start way at the beginning um, to get kind of a sense of the person. So um, where were you born and kind of what were some of those uh, formative years like in terms of getting you into the kind of mentality of manufacturing yeah well basically i was born in whittier california I still live here i actually fun fact i live in the house i grew up in awesome. so i actually one of my offices is actually my childhood bedroom which is a little odd but um basically um grew up in an environment where you know had a lot of resources to things like music and just different technology things and even in elementary school you know was exposed to some great teachers who had put things in our heads to just try to teach us how to think differently. And which was really great. Um, one of the best exercises in fifth grade was write out how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then the teacher went ahead and she described how we all wrote it, which was a real eye opener. And then as time went along and I was really identified in high school that my aptitude was IT and that I should really go the, the realm of IT and, so, you know, first into college, start, you know, doing coding and programming and things like that. And of course, that peanut butter and jelly sandwich just came right back to me, you know, because coding on how to get a, a robot to stand up and walk to the other side of the room is very much like building a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in fifth grade. So um, and then actually right after getting into that, I had to go work for a living. So I went to work for a manufacturing company, started in a customer service role. Then they... Um, so I'm old enough to know that when computers started out and, you know, as we started, the company was all about doing everything manual with typewriters, but then computers came in, which was my aptitude. So then I became the person in charge of computers and started out at the very early ages of the IT world, and which was really eye-opening to me because it really showed really how an industry can start technology-wise very young and then mature. And um, as I got into more of the company, I started taking every role possible and we started installing different softwares, which gave me um, different ERP softwares that gave me access to understanding the whole business. And then finally I got the opportunity after running IT for a number of years of jumping into operations. So then I was an operations manager for um, probably about 10, 15 years in 
really got into the manufacturing and understanding how manufacturing worked. And we even had um, two facilities in the U.S. We had one in L.A., one in Atlanta. I was in charge of the one in L.A., but then I also went and consulted with our facility in the U.K. So it was really quite a broad spectrum of learning about manufacturing. And we were in an industry that at the beginning, even in the manufacturing end, we had to teach people about our products. And so we had to really... um, it was a premier product. We could charge more money for it at the beginning. But then after a while, it became a very commodity-based. And so then you have to drive your costs down. And that's kind of how I got into manufacturing. couple questions. So what, what were you manufacturing or what was the what product? Basically, um, products for architectural concrete. So think yeah. of decorative concrete. I always tell people, think of Disneyland. Yeah. You know, Main Street Red, Splash Mountain, all of that is just decorative concrete. But... As soon as you learn about decorative concrete, you start looking around and seeing how much, how many things really are made out of concrete and, you know, can be colored and everything of that nature. So. And when you were first looking for this job or found this job, like was, was manufacturing a decision factor? Were you targeting that industry at at all or would it just kind of, it happened that way? Well, actually um, getting into this industry and getting into this job, was that um, basically I had worked for the founder and CEO of Endeavor for decades. I said how many years, I really show my age. But, um, and I was working in a, um, a job that I didn't really like. It wasn't part of manufacturing. I had moved into a different segment of being in business development for a big, big company. And it was COVID. And all of a sudden I get this phone call from Phil and saying, hey, I'm getting ready to start a company. It's going to be a manufacturing company. Do you want to come help me run this company? And you and Tim can kind of make all the decisions about how we run the company, how employees are treated, and basically just uh, do what we have done for decades before. And so it was um, very exciting to take on the opportunity because I love building teams and just building things. And um, manufacturing is just a, a way to do that. And so when was the first time that you saw or heard of 3D printing? Oh, man, that was, um, I was going to say it's probably 15 years ago, especially being in IT and such is that, you know, you get um, exposure to it. I'm in California, so a hotbed of technology and, you know, and also I personally know engineers in all types of industries like aerospace and, um, you know, medical devices and things of that nature. And of course, you know, they talk about it and stuff like that. So as soon as I found out I could really get involved in the industry and get to know it, man, I was very excited to, you know, just jump into this because I really feel like, like I said, when I was just into IT and I saw, I mean, okay, like one of the first computers I probably ever touched was like a Commodore 64, right? So you start at that level to where IT is today and you see the adoption of different technologies and different aspects I see that in additive now and I really see that we're just in the infancy of it and how it can grow. And I'm so excited to be part of another, you know, evolution of technology. And so again, seeing it where 3d printers were hobbyist or things were in schools so that kids can start learning STEM activities to where it's now going to be a full manufacturing process and to be able to be competitive in the manufacturing industry. I can't wait. I'm so excited to be part of it. And 
uh, what like so tell tell us a little bit about Endeavor 3D. So like what what was like what was kind of the start of that? Like where where are you guys now? And then we'll kind of dive into some more specific questions. Certainly. I mean, well, so Endeavor 3D was again. I like I said, we were COVID babies. Where um, it was middle of COVID, and our founder. Phil, he was um, owner of a building in Douglasville, Georgia, and the occupants um, notified him that they were moving out. And he said, well, what do I do with this building? You know, I can rent it out. It could be a warehouse, maybe employ five people. I mean, 65,000 square feet. So there's room, <laughs> you know, and um, and he just, we love the community of Douglas County, Georgia. It, I mean, I've been going there for so long. We have good friends there and stuff. and. And he just thought, no, we're going to be manufacturers again. And because in manufacturing, we can bring a lot to the industry and not to the industry, but to the community and employ some of those same people, uh, be involved in the community, which we are, and just be part of something bigger for that community and the state and the country, bring manufacturing back. And so, again, we started off um, with carbon. And so we dove right into carbon. Um, we always knew we'd be doing metals. So that has been, a, you know, it takes time to process through metals. So we tried carbon for a while and that just wasn't the right fit. So we moved over to HP multi-jet fusion. And so we've been really running, M, you know, the HP machines. And then just this year, uh, dove into the metal jet. So it's been, been fun. It's, uh, you know, I always say you could have a dream and a vision of what you want a company to be but then when reality starts hitting and you really have to drive it to be a profitable business and something that people want then that's the hard work and there may be a lot of u-turns or left turns or you just have to get through it and so what were some of those realities i mean so you you started with on the plastic side you're in the metal side now i mean what the 3d printing's the i mean been around for a while, it's still kind of very capital intensive business, right? Like you need the machine <laughs> and all the stuff yes. that goes around it. And sometimes in metals, all the safety features that go around it too. But like, what's the, as, as you were, you're kind of on your journey, like what were some of those realities that um, maybe didn't look exactly like what you may have envisioned on the business plan? Well, I think when you get into the business development things and you start talking to different people, there's different groups of people to talk to about additive. And I mean, you go to AMUG and that's like talking to everybody who's drank the Kool-Aid. You know, everybody knows what you're talking about. You can't fool anybody because if you say something that's not right, they're going to call you on it, which is, is great. You know, but then you walk into other types of industry events and they don't know what you're talking about. And so there's this big change that needs to happen in the industry where we have to continue education. We have to, you know, continue that. And I, I think we didn't really realize at the time that we would have to be selling to people who didn't know additive. I mean, some of the sales calls we're on is we could be talking to one customer who they, they get it, they understand what it's going to take to build and invest in having a digital. And then we talk to other people that they're like, Oh, you mean, what is this? This isn't something you just have in your basement. This is full production. So there's a big wide range. And I think that was a really an interesting point because that changes your whole marketing and your strategies completely. 
and you really have to break it up and and be ready to invest in that. And I think that actually paralleled what we did in our prior company, because when we were doing the decorative concrete, when we first got into it, people didn't know anything about decorative concrete. So what we did was we actually had a full group of our people who were dedicated to working with architects and other people to spec and to learn about how to actually work decorative concrete. We had a team that traveled worldwide to Dubai and China to do all kinds of technology training on how to do decorative concrete. You wouldn't think you'd have to teach, you know, that in other parts of the world, but they don't have the same standards as we do in the U.S. So we went all over the world to do that. And so I feel that this is the same thing here, is that we have to go out and teach people about this. And after a while, they'll be more and more people who are part of it. But I think that was the big part of it. I mean, did I think we were going to ha- hang up our shingle and people were just going to come and buy parts by the millions? No. You know, <laughs> did I think that every job was going to be worth a million dollars? No. But um, I think that just the speed of it and the whole amount that it's still not a full manufacturing process is um, something that we're still working on and probably weren't expecting it to be this hard of a process. And so you mentioned earlier kind of the the team building part. Um, you want to talk a little bit about like what what is a team in a 3D printing company like yours? Like who are the who are the people that that work there? I think one of the things I'm very passionate about is kind of workforce development, kind of like you said, kind of bringing jobs to communities and manufacturing jobs back to back to the US. So um like I'm always ex- interested to hear kind of how people describe kind of what it is they do and like the types of teams they're they're working with and building. Yeah. Well, I, I will say that part of it is you have to hire a staff who can zig and zag, right? Because the job you have, I hire you for today may not be the job you're doing in three months because our business will change. We actually tease in our company that working for Endeavor is like dog years. Like we get more done in a month than most other businesses get done like in a year sometimes because there's just so much to do and so getting people who are very fully talented and that can full, fill in multiple roles and also fill in for each other um, and so when I interview people one of the first things I'll say is if you're looking for a position where it's well defined and you're going to come in and you're going to know exactly what you're going to do every day and you get to come in at eight and leave at five and you know you just have a job then this is not your job because we're going to ask you to do something different every day we're going to get you out of your comfort zone and we're going to and you're going to have to be able to cover the other guy and um one of my favorite sayings to my team is you know there's a reason why the pitcher needs to be able to know how to cover first base you know, you have to be able to build that. And again, I think that collaboration and getting people on the team, I I like to hire really strong leaders in my group, which I feel that I've done that really successfully. And that really just helps bring that whole synergy. And also to have that real open door policy too, of I'm not afraid of the hard conversations. If you think that there's something not working right or you think something should be done differently, that then let's have that conversation. And again, I think just keeping that whole uh, relationship open like that really helps build teams. And once you see successes, then that's just the best team builder ever. 
And what do you look for in leaders? What's how do you how do you scope out leaders? Well, it's got to be someone who's going to be able, again, to not be afraid to um, work a machine, pick up trash, but then also to be able to lead. And it's quite a talent. Um, not everybody can do it. Some people think, well, I'm really good at my job, so I can lead. But in itself, it's it's a a real skill in itself. And I guess I like to find people that I can work with. And um, that because if I'm going to lead in a certain way, I want to make sure they're going to lead. And and we do a lot of fun activities. I really love getting to trade shows. And um, one of the fun things I like to do about three or four days into a trade show is to touch base with my team. And usually they're falling apart a little bit around the edges. <laughs> you know, somebody might have a sore throat and, and need throat lozenges or something. And so I order a target run, you know, and have target delivered to the hotel and, and take care of everybody's little woes and, and stuff. And um, that just alone just um, makes people go, man, like people care here. And, um, and so hopefully you build that team and have people who will really go to the mats for you. Awesome. And so let's talk about some of the types of projects you'd like to do. I mean, as you've grown the business, as it's expanded, changed technologies, added new technologies, um, what's kind of your sweet spot? Where do you see a lot of the the industries or kind of customers resonating with what it is that you offer? Well, we really always have a sweet spot. I mean, just more sweet to our hearts when we can do projects that impact people. I mean, that's one thing that's amazing to me in this industry is that there's so many people who are developing products to help mankind and to help people. And so when we see people who are developing products for disabled people or children, we almost won't say no. I mean, we're just going to do it. And and that's because that's who we are. I mean, it's funny that we end up hiring people who do a lot of volunteer work on the side. And it's just, again, more says about the people we hire. Um, but I will say that's our sweet spot and we've done some work like that. And again, it just really brings home some of that internal reward for us. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, we've done some great projects in automotive and in, um, you know, some just different roles that are more difficult or trying to work with a customer who's trying to bring a product to market and struggles with that. And we actually have one that, we started working with him when we were running carbon and um, he moved on to somebody else. And he just recently called back and he was like, I'm changing to HP. And I was on HP's website and I see you guys are running HP and you're a partner. He goes, Oh my gosh, we get to work together again. And I'm like, that's right. Welcome home. And so just the fact that you can, in this industry still make those connections and so we're helping him redevelop it under hp and um and he's really stepping out and really developed his product and so those kind of things again i think are really good to us because we have a tendency to be more partners with customers than just um drop, drop us your files and we'll send you parts which i'm sure hurts us a bit sometimes but um because taking care of people sometimes takes a little bit more time but I guess that's what we do. And so is that um, maybe talk about kind of the typical customer that you see? Are they kind of early stages of thinking like, hey, I think 3D printing could be a use case here. I've got this need to get a part out quickly. Like where are, are they coming to you to say, okay, hey, 
we want to de- like kind of develop this with you, prove out the technology, and you have the ability to manufacture it for whatever volumes they may need. Like, where's kind of the 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 sweet spot that you like to work with, and in, in that say in that case? Well, I'll say, I mean, we have both. I mean, so we have some people who know additive just to have programs to run. We are really sweetly, you know, located in a, outside of Atlanta. So in the southeast, we are the largest MJF partners. So we have a lot of people who uh, want to buy locally. Mm-hmm. We have some customers that they're like, oh, my gosh, you mean I can drive to your facility? Yeah, you, you don't have to buy it from California or, you know, New York City or any of these other things that you're local. So that's great business. Um, again, I like working with the local people, too. But I will say for me personally, yeah, I love getting involved in the ones where we're we're, we're really developing something. Um, I'm also very passionate about creating that digital catalog because I think that additive in its long run will have companies will have digital catalogs where they'll be able to just order parts. I know some people do that now. We're not quite there yet, but I really want to be able to um, help with the supply chain, help with um, getting that whole process down because that's when we're going to be in true manufacturing and where do you see kind of the breakdown of people using the technology is it more replacement parts is it um new product development or like hitting a like hey we can't get this part anymore like we need to print it but are there things you kind of patterns and generally the the kind of manufacturing use case that keeps coming up in 2023 yeah, I will say we're hitting quite a few uh, people are, are wanting to replace parts or they don't want to. They're trying to maintain older equipment or other technologies that they don't want to continue to buy it the traditional way. So they come to additive. And the real challenge there is that their original parts were developed for that standard manufacturing process. And then as soon as we go into additive and we try to give them a price that just replicates the part, that's not the right fit. So then it becomes a different consulting discussion of how can we optimize this and still give you what you need. And depending on the industry or the the customer, it's a win or it's not. And so that's, again, some people really understand that you have to do that. And other people just, I don't think are ready to pull the trigger or understand that. And um, But hopefully we'll, we'll get there. You think it's more of a... A, a trust in the technology that the materials not as good or doesn't look as good surface finish is different or price or different. speed okay i think it's just different right yep. um one of the things that i'm real passionate about lately is you know really working within other professional groups or industries that are not additive industries right like talking to the supply chain professionals or talking to the plastic industry or talking to the metal industry, you know, we're getting involved in things like women in metals and, you know, women in plastic, both polygon authors, women in, women in everything. So you get involved in all these different industries. Like we'll be at NPE next year, you know, at a plastic show showing us off. And, and that's where I think that's going to be the sweet spot is really bringing again the technology and getting people comfortable with being able to, to use additive as a manufacturing process. Again, I think we get back to, if you're a manufacturer, does anybody care how you make it as long as they get the part? Right. And so it's it's really back of saying, yes, I can make this part for you 
and here's the cost of it and show them the value add on the total cost of ownership and, and really make the, the sell pitch for that. And so um, you mentioned Metal Jet um, from HP. Do you want to describe a little bit like it's a, a fairly new type? It's not like it's been out for a few years from them, but you want to, like it may not be familiar to everyone. Do you want to kind of describe what that technology is and, and maybe a I'll use do case my best. Sure. I'll do best. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically we're using, um, you know, we're, we just get started. So um, we're still doing some development processes. But it's basically um, taking metal powder and binding it together to create parts. And then after you make it, of course, you have to make it bigger because you're going to center it and, and, and make it a smaller part. So our challenge has been, how do we make this not as costly as it could be? Because when you're having to build a part and then center it, you have to be able to predict this shrinkage. And so there is software that we use to do that. So we're pretty good on our tolerances of being able to print something with one or two cycles before we hit the marks, um, which is pretty amazing. I think that's probably because we took two and a half years to get to this point of knowledge and, and education. Um, but it is not for the weak hearted, I'd say at the moment, um, because there is a lot of developmental cost. We hope to drive that down to be more efficient and, and such. So some people think, oh, you print metals. Can you print this paperclip? Well, no, that's not a good base, <laughs> no good case. And so, uh, but we are finding that um, it is definitely a technology that if you want to get into metal printing and that's not, any of the other technologies out there that um, we are doing a great job and we're, we're bridging a lot of jobs for HP because not everybody wants to go out and take on the risk that's associated with putting a metal jet facility, you know, in a building. And, um, but we're fortunate to have been able to do that. And what's the, I mean, you've talked about this a little bit already, but, from a balance of resources perspective, how much do you balance kind of preaching to the choir, the AMUGs, the rapids of the worlds versus um, folks outside the 3D printing realm? Like, do you see more opportunity? Where do you see kind of more opportunities um, today with, with either of those groups? Well, I think for production ready, it's those people who know the technology. But in order to fill the printers, we have to do the other. And so um, I would say that we're probably almost 50-50. Um, it kind of, we're not to the point where we're um, just focusing on heavily on one or the other. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, you know, we go to a lot of shows right now that are additive driven. And then we also do a lot of shows that are industry driven and where we are having to do the both. I think moving ahead, We'll reduce the number of shows that were at the additive shows and do more at the industry level. And that is just making those connections into those industries to be able to have workshops and be able to train people on what additive can do. And is that like the design part of it is like, hey, here's a new capability that you're able to unlock because of the technology or it's short of the time or whatever it may be? Yeah, definitely. In fact, one of the initiatives that um, we're working on right now is working with Georgia Tech Manufacturers Group. Georgia Tech is very close to our hearts. We have a lot of Georgia Tech engineers on on staff. Um, and so they have a group that is their manufacturer 
group where they work with local manufacturers to bring in different technologies and to help small and medium-sized businesses grow. So they have um, partnered with our county for manufacturers group. And so we're working with the local manufacturers along with Georgia Tech to start teaching them additive. And so we will be having regular meetings with Georgia Tech um, and possibly even with the metal jet working with them on them designing parts, us printing them and teaching those manufacturers how they can do jigs and fixtures or different types of parts that are no longer available. And again, that's getting into that manufacturers group and that's the local manufacturers. And that's a good thing. And we're also getting ready to partner next year with Georgia tech on the academic side of bringing students in and working with them and, and working with a team over there that's um, doing additive manufacturing and leaning into how do we get students to start thinking about this. And you know, I've talked to a couple of the professors and they're like, yeah, we love doing these, you know, give them a project to work on, but we have to give them some seeds, you know, on how to think and what to think about. And so since we have some of our engineers are kind of, I'll say more recent grads from Georgia Tech, they're going to be working with it students and kind of show them and give them ideas for that and you know our goal is to have every georgia tech engineering student you know through our doors and for a tour or an internship i mean we've already had gosh four or five georgia tech interns which i think three or four we've hired so um it's you know we love again bringing in that new talent and um running those internship programs fantastic and what piece of advice would you give kind of folks that are maybe a, a few years behind you in the sense that like, hey, we see the technology either from a service bureau perspective of providing parts from a printer or even making that investment internally for a an individual company. Are there lessons learned that like you would... If, if you were to do this all over again, um, I would have done this differently. Are there any things that stand out on on that front? Well, I think that, um, you know, just building a good business is you have to make sure you do that. And that's hard when you're, I mean, I'm sure everybody has a passion to do like, say, add a manufacturing, but you have to work on the HR side. You have to make sure you have accounting. You have to make sure you have all these things in place too. So that is one thing I'd always recommend to everybody. We started really early with our HR of making sure that we were going to, you know, make people happy. I mean, we give good benefits. Um, we have a good HR team. And every year we do what we call a pulse interview to make sure that, you know, we're in tune with our customer, with our employees. Um, so I would recommend to always make sure you take care of your people because people are going to work internally for internal rewards and external rewards. External is the money that can always be fixed or not fixed, but internals are a lot harder to fix. But I think too, I would really review the technologies that are going to actually bring people in the doors. You know, I always think that there's not everybody is going to start their manufacturing process with MJF or with a, you know, with metal jet, they're going to start with other technologies. And I think that's how companies should, should start too. And start with the smaller technologies. You don't need to jump fully in to these bigger, expensive machines. And, you know, and I watch closely some of these other companies that are just rocking it. And, 
you know, and I love to to talk to a lot of them too. AMUG, I love AMUG because I can just talk to some people who are doing some remarkable work and um, I'm just, you know, they probably know it, but I, I, you know, I troll them all the time, you know, I'm following them on LinkedIn or watching their websites and seeing what they're doing. And, and again, I, I, I just love that aspect of it. So again, don't be afraid to watch what's going on in the industry and be involved in AMUG, be involved in listening to podcasts or different things of that nature. I have learned so much from just digging into this industry and getting to know people. Awesome. So one last question. Um, I've asked this the last few years uh, of people, a uh, favorite book or writing or piece of art that's inspired you along your added manufacturing journey. Yeah. I was going to say, I'll tell you, um, I was thinking about this because I know I listened to your podcast. So I think you can ask this question. You're prepared. <laughs> um, I was prepared. Um, and, um, and I was actually, you know, working with some little kids lately and I, I was going to say everyone poops, but I don't think that's probably the best choice. Um, but the, um, but I'll say just career wise and in anything, I have always liked the standard seven habits of highly effective people. And that's an old book by Stephen Covey, but I, I lean into that a lot because, you know, habit four is win-win. And that's when you have to really be able to work with anybody in any situation. And when you walk into a room, you want to make sure the other guy wins. And so many people want to come in and win, which means you lose. And so to me, that is just, I keep going back to it. I reread it sometimes and, and just do it. And, and I know that's probably a funny book, but it's, um, again, it just centers me some time to make sure that um, I'm always making sure other everybody else wins. And I coach that to my managers and my, my leadership team is that, you know, if you're the only one winning, this isn't going to work. Thanks so much, Janet, for your time today. Excited to see you at yeah. AMUG in a few months and yeah, around the, the conference circuit. And uh, we'll put your website and kind of all the things that you guys do in, in the podcast info as well. I appreciate that. Thanks, Mike. Perfect. Thank you. Ready? All right, bye.